of Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll start reading in verse 8. Ephesians 5, we'll start reading in verse 8. Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we must confess in our honest moments that we truly are a sinful and rebellious people. Lord, we confess our waywardness, our strong-headedness. Lord, we confess our self-righteousness, that we think that we are something, that, that we compare ourselves to other people, that we look down on one another as if somehow we, we were good enough for you. But God, when we honestly look into our souls, we see there is a deep darkness, and that the deeper we go into our hearts, the more we uncover of sin. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you today clinging to the cross, recognizing that none of us can stand before you in our own righteousness, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. But we thank you that even though we have not sought you, you sought us, that you, Lord Jesus Christ, came and died for us. And so now, Lord, we stand before you as your people, washed in your blood, Christ, clothed in your righteousness, propped up by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is in your life and your righteousness that we can come before you. And so, God, I pray now as your holy people who have been sanctified through Christ that you would speak to us this morning. We desire to learn more from you. We need to be more filled up with you. God, the world is constantly um, uh, at the gates trying to, to come in and, and bring us back to the old life. God, we pray, help us to stand firm as your people. Fill us up this morning, Lord, as we study your word. Speak to us. God, I pray for uh, everybody here that, that you would speak to each and every heart, starting with mine. I don't know what issues, questions, struggles, conflicts, uh, needs people have brought in here with them this morning, Lord, but I praise you that you know every single need and every single life. And God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit and your supernatural way, that you would speak to each life and say what needs to be said to each person through your word. Lord, I pray that all of us may go from this service today being able to say truly that God spoke to me. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, pet peeve number 328. I'm driving with somebody. They're driving. I'm riding in the passenger seat, and I'm talking, and the person insists on looking at me when they talk to me. 
this, this drives me nuts, all right? I'm like, look at the road. The, the, the person's driving, and then they're talking, and then they're gesturing. You know? This drives me crazy when people do this. All right, so I feel better saying that. But the important thing <laughs> is Ephesians 5.15. It made me think of this text. The reason I brought that up. It made me think of this text, Ephesians 5.15. Be very careful, then, how you live. In Greek, it's literally, watch carefully. Keep your eyes open. Stay alert. Don't you know, get distracted in your Christian life. Keep, stay focused on where you're going with Christ. Watch carefully how you live. The reality is that in Jesus Christ, as Christians, God has awoken us from sin. He's awoken us from our spiritual slumber in sin. He's shaken us out of our uh, dream world of disobedience. And he's made us alive in Jesus Christ. We are new people in Christ. We're awake, finally. And so what Paul is saying is, stay awake. Don't fall back asleep. Don't get lulled back into that sleepy dream world of sin from which we've come. Let us stay alert and watchful. Let's keep our eyes open. Keep your eyes on the road. And then he gets a little more specific in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So we're to be alert, we're to be wise as Christians, we're to be savvy in a sense. We're not supposed to just kind of go along with the flow of the world, but we're supposed to be discerning and wise. Now, of course, wisdom is a very important biblical concept. If you've read any of the Old Testament or the New Testament, this idea of wisdom comes up a lot. Uh, wisdom means knowing how to skillfully navigate life in a way that honors God. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to negotiate the circumstances of life, the trials of life, the things that befall us, knowing how to skillfully negotiate through life in a way that, that we honor God with our lives. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts when I get my focus on God and live life in a way that pleases Him. So, so it's really about skillful living. That's kind of the essence of wisdom. And I think that's important to bring up because sometimes we confuse wisdom and intelligence. Wisdom and intelligence are different things. I mean, they're kind of related because it takes knowledge to be wise, but, but they really are different things. Uh, th there are many people who are smart and well-educated, but total fools. It, it is entirely possible to be brilliant and foolish, and many people have, have proven that. There are people whose minds are full of facts and whose walls are full of diplomas, but whose lives are full of vices and bad decisions and broken relationships. I mean, so wisdom is really knowing how to skillfully navigate life. Whenever I think of biblical wisdom, uh, for some reason this one story I read comes to mind. It's a story that Mark Twain wrote. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen his book, Life on the Mississippi. Um, it, if, if you know Mark Twain's life, he grew up with kind of a fascination at Mississippi steamboats, and he wanted to always be on the steamboats, and he grew up around the steamboats. He eventually actually became a steamboat captain. He got his captain's license when he was 24. But he wrote this book, uh, Life on the Mississippi. It's kind of the history of the Mississippi River and the life of a steamboat captain. And he tells this one story about a time he was sailing with a, a pilot named Mr. Bixby. They were going down the Mississippi River, and as you can imagine, it's more difficult to navigate down because the water is pushing you and it's harder to control the boat. And he came to this particularly uh, uh, notorious crossing called Hat Island. Hat Island was known for eating up ships and destroying boats. 
And, and here he was heading downriver at Hat Island at night. And, and there's a story about Mr. Bixby uh, taking the soundings off the, the men on the sides. The men on the sides would dip the, the ropes down and take a sounding, and they'd call out, you know, Mark Twain, half Twain. They'd say how deep the water was. And using those, those uh, uh, soundings from the men on the sides of the boat and his knowledge and skill as a, as a river pilot, he negotiated that boat through a tricky channel in the middle of the night. And, and uh, the story is uh, he's negotiating the boat through this thing, and there's all these other pilots in the boathouse with him who happen to be on the trip. And they're all sitting there watching. And then he finally clears it, and everyone lets out a huge shout. You know, hooray, Mr. Bixby has done it. It's, it's a great story, but it's a picture of wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It's knowing how, in the spiritual darkness around us, to negotiate life in such a way that honors God and doesn't put you on a sandbar. That's it. It's knowing how to live life wisely. And so this is what Paul is telling us as Christians. We have been saved from darkness. We've been saved from sin, not because we're special or good, but because Christ has been gracious to us. Therefore, let us stay alert, verse 15, be watchful, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he gets a little more specific. He tells us specifically what he means by wise living. He gives us a for instance, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. So the specific way that Paul wants us to be wise in our living is to make the most of every opportunity. To, to take advantage of every opportunity we have to do God's will in this world and to advance the purposes of God in this world. Now, in English, in this translation, it says make the most of every opportunity. In Greek, it's actually just two words. There's a verb, and then there's the object of the verb. The verb is ex agorazo. And the reason that's important is because you might uh, hear the word agora in there. And if you know anything about the ancient Greek uh, city-state, the agora was the center of the Greek life, and the agora was the marketplace. That's where everyone went. The agora was where you bought and sold and got all your goods. The agora is where you went and debated philosophy. It's where you had discussions about things. It's where there were political rallies, and even legal proceedings took place in the agora. So the agora was the, really the center of Greek life, and you went there to buy and sell primarily. So the verb agorazo means to, to purchase. It's a, it's a shopping term, those of you who enjoy shopping. It means to go shopping, to buy things, to purchase things. So Paul is saying ex agorazo, buy up, buy up. And what are we to buy up? Well, that's the second word in Greek, which is kairos, which means literally time. But it's not just any time. Kairos typically refers to the right time, the key time, the opportune time, the specific time, the, the perfect time. It's that, that unique moment that comes along. And I think this is a really good translation in the, in the New International Version when it says, make the most of every opportunity. That's the idea. It, it means buy up the opportunities that come along to do God's will. Be alert, like a good shopper, so that you can snatch up the bargain. Is kind of the idea. Like a savvy stockbroker who knows just when to buy the right stock and how much. This is the idea. Like a, a veteran yard sailor who gets up early, uh, an hour before the yard sale opens. Why do they show up an hour early? I don't know. But, but they, they show up an hour early. And, and this veteran yard sailor knows just which treasure to buy in another man's trash. And in the same way as Christians, we should have this 
alertness about us, looking around us for opportunities to do God's will in this world. Uh, it, it means to shop the way my wife shops. My wife is a great shopper. She's an awesome shopper. I, on the other hand, am a terrible shopper. I hate shopping. I, I, if, if I have to shop, I, I prefer the surgical strike. You know, I know what I want at the mall, I know where it is, and I go, I buy it, and I get out. Right? That's my shopping. I, I, and sometimes my wife takes me shopping, and, and we'll go, and I don't know, the longer I'm in the mall, the tireder I get. It's kind of like I'm in a gulag or something. I just kind of walk around the mall. All the stores look the same to me. Everything, it's all the same store. Every once in a while, I pass a Cinnabon, and I kind of perk up. And then, I, I go, then I'm back, and I follow her around, and I kind of take care of the kids. My wife, on the other hand, she's so alert when she's shopping. She's, you know, she's kind of got you know, this, this awareness of where the sales are. And, and she'll come home from shopping. She'll be like, look at this. I got this. Half off sale, 20% coupon, a doubling coupon. I got it for 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, all right. <laughs> you know, uh, it, so that, that's how you need to be, is it, like that with the opportunities of life. Too many of us Christians go through life the way I go through shopping. We're just kind of like, you know, staggering along. We're not in the Word, studying the Word. We're not praying on any kind of regular basis. We're not asking God to, to work in us and cleanse us. We're not seeking to draw closer to Christ. We're, we're, we're Christians, but we're just kind of, you know, like zombies in this world. Just, and we tend to kind of go along with, with whatever's happening in our life. We let the, the circumstances in life and the trends of the culture just dictate the next direction that we take. And, and that's how we tend in the Christian life to fall back into that kind of sleepy sluggishness. But Christ is calling us to be like my wife when she shops, to be alert. You know? She took me shopping a couple weeks ago. We went uh, the beginning of August, I think, and we went to buy children's clothing, summer clothing. I'm like, well, why are we buying summer clothing if it's the end of August? She's like, exactly. <laughs> because this is when the sales are, and you buy them for next year. I'm like, brilliant. <laughs> this is amazing. You need to have that awareness of where the bargains are. And, and this, is, this really is the idea here. It's, it's being a wise shopper. That's what the imagery is that Paul is using. And so as a Christian, I want to be alert for every opportunity, chance, moment, uh, opening I have to do the will of God and to speak the will of Christ. There needs to be an alertness and a watchfulness in the Christian life. How many times did Christ tell us, stay alert, watch out, don't let your lamp go out, stay awake. You know, it's all these kinds of commands that as Christians there should be a, uh, an awareness to our lives about the opportunities around us where the Lord can use us to minister to other people. And then, just to make sure that we're motivated, he throws in this little phrase. Look at verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity, here's this little phrase, because the days are evil. That's a funny little phrase, isn't it? So, in other words, because the days are evil, whatever that means, that should somehow motivate me to making the most of the opportunities around me. So the question is, what does he mean the days are evil? What specifically is the, the intent of that phrase? Did, did the evil days, is he just kind of saying like, you know, because there's a high crime rate nowadays and there's some moral corruption around us? Well, I, I think there's something more to it than that. Specifically, let me tell you what I think Paul is saying and then let me try to explain why I think that. When Paul says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, I think what he's saying is, 
This is going to sound weird, but then I'll explain it. I think what he's saying is, make the most of every opportunity because we are living in the end times. I think that's what that phrase means. I think the phrase evil days is a way of referring to the end times. Okay, I know that sounds kooky, but let me explain what I'm talking about. Um, in biblical thought, as we look at the Bible, the Bible conceives of human history and time in a linear fashion, not a circular fashion like, like Eastern religions, but it's a linear fashion. And, and in this linear human history, there are two ages. There's the present evil age in which we live. It's an age marked by death, sin, darkness, discord between people, war, enmity, and strife. It is the kingdom of darkness that seems to uh, pervade this whole world so that no matter where you go in the world, there is darkness and sin. That's the present evil age. It's the dominion of Satan. And then there's the age to come. And this is the hope of Scripture, that there will come a time when God's kingdom will prevail and where death will be replaced by life and wickedness will be replaced by righteousness and the kingdom of Satan will be overthrown and the kingdom of God and his Messiah will come to reign. So, so the hope in Scripture is that there's going to be this future kingdom of God. So if you look at your sermon notes for a minute, take out the sermon notes. Look at that little picture there. I made that picture, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. If you notice, uh, there's the top line. The top line is the age to come. There's the kingdom of God. The bottom line is the present evil age in which we live. The, the age to come, the kingdom of God, was introduced with the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's what he preached. Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. So when Christ came into the world, it was, it was kind of like D-Day. He launched an invasion into this world to introduce his kingdom. And now the kingdom of Christ is here. But it's not complete yet. It's, it's growing. Uh, the, the Jews expected the kingdom of God to come and for it to just be all over. But instead, there's this kind of overlap period. You notice that the present evil age continues. So right now, during the time between the first and second comings of Christ, there's this overlap of the ages. There's this tumultuous period in which the kingdom of God is growing around the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is growing around the world. It is now, you know, it's the fastest growing religion in the world. Why is Christianity the fastest growing religion in the world? Is it because the church is a well-oiled machine? No. <laughs> Please. That's not it. It's because God is advancing his kingdom supernaturally. And one by one, people around the world are coming to Christ. The church, I don't know if you're aware of this, is exploding in Latin America. The church is exploding in Southeast Asia. It is going rampant in Africa. And we don't hear it because we're here in the West. But around the world, it's exploding. I mean, the church is more non-white than white today. In fact, South Korea is sending missionaries over here. <laughs> yeah, they do. They come over. I'm a missionary from South Korea. I'm here to evangelize America. Like, wow. <laughs> but, but it's true. God's kingdom is growing around the world, but the kingdom of evil still persists in this present age. This in-between times is what the New Testament calls the end times. And don't take my word for it. Look it up in the scriptures. Take a concordance. Look up end times, last hour, latter days, last days. It always refers to the present. And I think this is important because a lot of times Christians get this kind of mixed up. Christians will say, are we living in the end times? Because, you know, there's all this stuff going on in Iraq and the Middle East. I think we might be in the end times. And my answer is always, 
We are in the end times. It began with the first coming of Christ. That's when the end times began. It's this final period. And, and again, don't take my word for it. Look it up yourself. The, the apostles always talk about the present is when the end times have begun. This is also the period known as the tribulation in Scripture. The tribulation is not some future thing, even though there's a future component to it. It began, tribulation began when Jesus entered this world and King Herod tried to snuff out his life. That's when it started. So there's this overlap of the, the ages. And this period is called the evil days. I, that's what I think. And the reason I think that this is the evil days is because whenever the apostles talk about the end times, they typically describe it as a period of evil. So, for instance, look on the back of the sermon notes. Um, are you tracking with me here, or am I just... Okay. Even if you're not, whatever, I'll keep going. Um, it says there, the second quote down, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. to He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, and so on and so forth. And all these different things talk about the, the evil that comes in an intensified fashion in the last times in which we live. So, alright, so what does all this mean? Let's just sort of take it all in. I think what Paul is saying is make the most of every opportunity to speak about Christ and to do God's will because this is it. Two minute warning has sounded. Game is almost over. Human history coming to a close with the first coming of Christ. And so there should be an urgency to our Christian living. There should be a breathlessness, in a sense, to our desire to share Christ with others and to serve others and to evangelize the world, to be engaged in foreign missions, because this is it. After this, it's game over. And so we need to be active as Christians. There should be this this exuberance. There should be an eschatological urgency. They like that. Eschatological, of course, means having to do with the end times. There should be an eschatological urgency to the living of the Christian life uh, among us. <clears throat> I, I think it's kind of like what Paul is saying there, 1 Corinthians 7. Look at the bottom of your sermon notes on the back. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, What I mean, brothers, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Well, he already does that. I mean, just kidding. Um, those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Not that Christians are detached and, and they don't care about their families or things like that, but, but I think what he's saying is, there should be an awareness in our lives that this world and everything that, that we see around it is on its way out. It's fading to black. The kingdom of God is growing invisibly in the present world through the preaching of the gospel. And so we, we should not invest our hope, our lives, our dreams in this world, but in the world to come. There's a sense in which we're looking forward. So there's an end times urgency. Maybe another way, just one more example, another way to think of it is through the metaphor of a, a pregnancy kind of like a pregnancy, okay? Uh, I'm very familiar with this, so I, I can talk on it. You know, a pregnancy, um, uh, it, it begins small, and that's, that's how the kingdom of God began. If you remember way back in the book of Genesis, God created the Garden of Eden, and it was the manifest kingdom of God. God was in charge. Adam and Eve were in place. They were in harmony with God. They are in harmony with one another. The created order was in harmony. The whole thing was working the way it was supposed to work. It was the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden. And then what happened? Adam and Eve rebelled. 
They rebelled against God. Sin entered the world. The present age of evil began. And then instead of just wiping out Adam and Eve and wiping out the universe and shaking the etch-a-sketch and drawing a new universe, God said, you know, I'm going to be merciful and kind. And instead of destroying Adam and Eve, he gave him a promise. He said, from your offspring, Eve, I'm going to raise up one who will crush the serpent's head. I'm going to raise up one who's going to destroy the kingdom of darkness. And so right at that moment, it was as if conception happened, and the kingdom of God was conceived in that promise to Adam and Eve. And then it began to slowly grow through human history. Like a fetus that is unknown and undetected inside of a woman, it's so small and tiny. So in the same way, the kingdom of God and its promise was growing ever so slowly. And I think the Old Testament is the history of the gestation of the kingdom of God. It, it's growing slowly. It's growing, it's growing little bit by little bit, imperceptibly over time. You read the Old Testament and you begin to... As you read along, you get a little bit more information about the kingdom of God, a little more information about the Messiah, and then you eventually get to the prophets in the Old Testament, and then you really start learning some stuff about the Messiah in the kingdom of God. And it's kind of like, you know, when the woman starts to show, and you go, oh, oh, it's starting to get more specific now. I see something really is happening. And so as you go through the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and, and Malachi and uh, Zechariah, you know, some of these incredible messianic prophecies, and it's like the, the kingdom of God is growing and growing until finally around the time of Christ, it's come full term is where it is. And around the time of Christ, if you know the history of Judaism, there was a, uh, a messianic expectation in Judaism. The people were just, you know, very sensitive. You bring up the topic of the Messiah and everyone's like, whoo, because they're looking for the Messiah. They're ready for the Messiah to come. They're ready for the kingdom of God to come. And different false messiahs would pop up and people would follow them because there was kind of this expectation that the kingdom of God was about to happen. It was like the, the pregnancy had come to full term. And then Jesus came and labor set in. The kingdom of God began to be birthed with the coming of Christ. And it will finally be fully birthed when Jesus comes again. So the age in which we now live is basically labor. It's like active labor. It's the transition. It's when the kingdom of God, which has been growing secretly throughout church uh, throughout the history of humanity is now finally coming into the fore and everybody knows it and in the same way the kingdom of god has gone global now and it's going to every tribe and tongue and language and nation around the globe the kingdom of god has gone global it's, it's everybody knows about it christ is being preached in the far corners of the earth the tribulation of, of childbirth is happening and so what that means for us as christians is that those of us living in these times it's time for us to push, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm enjoying this metaphor, okay? Yeah, yeah. Push, you know? Come on, let there be an urgency. Make the most of every opportunity. This is it. It's time to get serious and to throw ourselves into the work of the kingdom of God because it's the final thing. It's finally, the kingdom of God is being birthed. And when Christ comes again, the old order shall pass away and the new shall be here. It's already here in a, a spiritual secret way, but we'll finally see it. And then when the kingdom of God is born, the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and Christ will be all in all. And so we as Christians labor and strive and struggle in this time. I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, because we're living in the end times, because this is the final period in human history. When is Christ coming in? I don't know. When's the baby going to be born? I don't know. Soon. 
we're there, but it's, who knows? It's going to take a little while, but it's, it's going to happen. And then the kingdom of God will be here in its fullness. It kind of is like uh, a thing I heard Billy Graham say. You know Billy Graham, the evangelist? I, I heard a, a, saw a video of him speaking to a bunch of pastors and evangelists from other countries. And he was asking them the question, what would you do if you knew for certain that Jesus Christ was returning today? What would you do? Would you get on the phone with people you love and say, look, i got to tell you, I, I th- he's coming back today. It's time for you to turn to Christ and to, to repent and to believe in him. What if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back in an hour? W- would you walk up to people in the supermarket you don't even know and grab them and say, look, I don't know you and I don't want to freak you out, but you need to believe in Christ. What if you knew that Christ was coming back in the next minute? Would you run out of your pew and run out in the street and stop traffic and scream at the top of your lungs, believe in Christ before it's too late? It's that kind of urgency that should be marking the Christian life. Now, what am I saying? That we as Christians, if you're going to be a good Christian, you should rent a bullhorn and go around screaming at people, believe in Jesus. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. But, but I think he's saying there's an, there should be this, as I said it a million times here, an urgency. There should be an expectation. There should be an energy the living of the Christian life, because we realize that the time is short, and this is the time. It's more like what he was saying in Colossians. Turn over to Colossians, chapter 4. Colossians really helps. I don't know if you've ever read Ephesians and Colossians together. You will notice they are very similar. In fact, Ephesians and Colossians are so similar in content and structure that scholars scratch their heads trying to figure out why in the world they seem so much alike. It's almost as if one was copying off the other, like one had Ephesians in front of him and wrote Colossians, or someone had Colossians and wrote Ephesians, because they're so similar. My own theory is, and and one that many scholars hold, is that Paul just wrote these letters one after another. He had the same themes in mind, the same words, the same images. But all all that to say that when things are kind of fuzzy in Ephesians, you can look for similar passages in Colossians, and it really helps make it clear. Look at Colossians chapter 4. It's on page 1167. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 2. Here's the the Colossians parallel text. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being, here it is, watchful, right, and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise there's the wisdom, in the way you act toward outsiders. And then the exact phrase in Greek, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to have an answer, give an answer to everyone. So Paul is telling us to make the most of every opportunity, specifically by taking advantage of those opportunities we have to tell people about Jesus Christ. To pray for opportunities, and when they come, to be ready to speak about Christ. Now, I know for some of us, we hear this and we go, ah, I don't know about that. I, talking about Christ and about God, look, I'm not an evangelist. You know, I know some of you are very private people. I know that part of New England culture is that we tend to be reserved, especially about things like faith. I mean, New Englanders just don't go around talking about their personal faith. It's just not how we are as a culture. And even though I didn't grow up in New England, I, mean, I tend to be that way myself. I tend to be reserved about personal things in my life. So this idea of going up to people and talking about my faith, it's like, what are you talking about? I mean, do I have to become an evangelist? You know, do I have to kind of strike a pose 
take on a persona, you know, and preach about Jesus. You know, you have to kind of, <laughs> that's the image we have, right? It's like you have to get all weird if you're going to do evangelism. And, and it's not that way. You know, doing evangelism, I, I think, should just be a very natural thing that flows out of your personality and in a way that's natural to you, talking about Jesus, about your faith, about God. Some of your personalities may be a little more flamboyant. Some may be more subdued. But it's just speaking that right word at the right moment in the way that God has wired you up. I and mean, that's all evangelism is. It's, it's not more complex than that. It's a matter of telling your story. Maybe you don't know a lot about Christianity, but you got a story. It's like, yeah, I became a Christian. This is what happened, and this is what God did in my life, and this is what's happening now. I don't fully understand it, but wow, it's incredible. That's sharing your faith with somebody. It's speaking that opportune word at the opportune moment. I heard a story recently about a lady who did this. Maybe I could sort of tell the story as a way of illustrating how simple it can be. Uh, there's a lady in our church. I don't want to embarrass her, so I'll just call her Marie Watts. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> Marie Watts was out visiting one of her sons uh, who, who has gotten into conchology. You know what conchology is? The study of shells. I didn't know that either. Conchology is the study of shells. He's, he's really gotten into it, and apparently there's just a huge science to the different shells. There's all kinds of shells. There's shells people haven't even found yet. And, and these conchologists are just full-on shell collecting. It's very interesting, she said. So she went out to meet him at a convention and hung out with him for a, a week at a conchology convention. So she's sitting there in this convention. There's different tables set up with all these amazing, like breathtakingly beautiful shells from all over the world. And there's a guy who's uh, sitting next to her at a, a table. And he says, so what do you think of this conchology convention? And she's sitting there, and she says, you know, I think these shells are beautiful. I think it's amazing that the, the, all the diversity of beauty, and I think it was all laying under the sea for thousands of years. We didn't know anything about it. And then she said, we just have such an awesome God who made all this. That's it. She didn't whack anyone with the Bible. She didn't get a bullhorn. She just said, you know, what an awesome God who made this. Just throw it out there. And then the guy bit. He said, well, I, I don't know. You know. I'm not sure about God. I'm still kind of uncertain about that whole thing. I've read you know, some of the Bible, and I've read all these books by these different people. He said, well, you know, books by people, that's good, but the important thing is to come back to God's Word in the Bible. Well, and so there, the conversation started. And there was no you know, special tactic that she used. There was no um, aggressive approach. It's just when that opportunity was there, like a smart shopper, she just said it. And that's all God wants you to do is just throw out the seeds. And some of them are going to bounce off people's heads. They're not going to respond. Some, some people may chew on it a little bit, and some will be saved. But that's God's business. My business is just to, you know, throw in the seeds. You're here, I'm throwing seeds at you. And you're going out, you're throwing seeds. We're just talking about the gospel. You know, and what God wants to do with that is his business. Our business is just to be scattering the seeds of the word and you can do it in a simple, non-threatening way. I also think it's not only using the opportunities, it's praying for opportunities. Notice Paul says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Sometimes when I go to the gym in the morning, staggering in at 6.30 in the morning, I'll just say a little prayer. I'll say, you know, Lord, I don't know who's in this gym this morning. I don't know what problems they have. I don't know who I'm going to talk to. But if there's someone you want me to talk to about you in some way, if there's something you want me to say, just help me to realize the opportunity and to speak the word that needs to be there. Because I'm 
just too dim-witted and too slow and too introverted to be able to come out of my shell and just say whatever needs to be said. And, and you just pray that simple prayer. Lord, I'm going over to my relative's house today. Help me to say what needs to be said at the right moment. Help me to be aware of the opportunities. Lord, I'm going to church today. Don't know who I'm going to meet there. But Lord, just make me aware of the opportunities around me to speak that word at the opportune moment. Because God isn't looking for some great evangelist to do all the work. It's the whole body of Christ spreading the seed together. And so let us make the most of every opportunity in light of the eschatological moments, in light of being in the last days. You know, there's a flip side to this whole thing about sharing our faith. If it's urgent that we share our faith, you know what the flip side is, don't you? It's urgent that those of us who don't know Christ believe in Christ as well. If there's an urgency to preaching the gospel, there is an implied urgency to believing and receiving the gospel. It is equally urgent. If it is true that these are the last moment and we need to preach Christ and sow the seed, it's also true that, that we need to let Christ come into our hearts and change us and save us. There's an urgency to the eschatological moments for unbelievers as well, for the hearers. Let's take Billy Graham's little story and flip it upside down. What if you knew that Jesus was coming back today? What would you do? What if you were sitting there in your lazy boy and you had a revelation that Christ was coming back? Would you finally repent and believe in him? Or would you still hold him off? What if you knew Christ was coming back in the next hour? Would you begin to pray fervently, Lord Jesus, I have not followed your ways. Forgive me. Save me, a sinner. What if you knew Christ was coming back in the next minute? Wouldn't you just throw off all propriety and throw yourself on the rug right here and cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Save me. There's an urgency to believing the gospel as well as to preaching the gospel. Because Christ is coming back. Sometimes when I, when I close my eyes, I, I think I can almost see him seated on his throne next to God the Father. And there he is, and he's surrounded by glory and light. He, he is resplendent in the beauty and glory of the Trinity. And there at his belt is a great sword, the sword of judgment. And he sits there at the Father's right hand. And all he's waiting for is that moment when the Father will give the command. And he will arise and draw his sword and return and judge the living and the dead. Christ is coming to judge tomorrow. But today, he's here to save. Today is the time to receive Christ. Today, Jesus Christ is with us. He's here in this very room through the Holy Spirit. I mean that literally. He's here with us. And he stands here with his hands upraised, not with a sword in his hand, but with nail marks in his hand. And he stretches out his arms to embrace anyone who will put their faith in him. And so let us make the most of every opportunity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who know him, let us be diligent. And I'm talking to myself here. Let me be diligent in living for the kingdom of God. And for those of you who don't know Christ, I just want to say, today's the day. Today is salvation. Tomorrow, I don't know. Today is salvation. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray, wake me up. Cause me to arise from my spiritual slumber, from my 
my worldly sleepiness and droopiness. God, I pray that I might be alert, that I might have my mind set on the kingdom to come. God, make the realities of Christ and the coming kingdom so tangible to us so that we might follow. Lord, these things are tangible, but, but we are, are just ignorant and sleepy. Lord, wake us up and show us Christ. God, I pray that you might help us to make the most of every opportunity. I, I'm convinced that opportunities go by us every day. Lord, lead us to somebody tomorrow that we can talk to and share about Christ or our faith or the, the church or whatever. Lord, I pray, use us as your instruments. Help us to be alert, wise, making the most of every opportunity, knowing that you are returning soon. We pray all this in Christ's name, by faith.